I, I know a child who had uh, what's called in psychiatry or psychology intrusive thoughts. This child would suddenly, he was like 10 years old, and suddenly he'd think, oh my God, I could throw that baby out of the window. Or, you know, I, I could yell something racist at that person. Um, the thought would pop into his head and would, would haunt him. And it got stuck in his head. And, and he just felt so terribly alone. Can I just ask, by the way, um, have other people here, do you have intrusive thoughts like that, these thoughts that would just pop into your head? Yeah, kind of everybody, right? Yeah, every single human being. And I bet none of you have ever admitted that before. <laughs> um, so this, this child went to a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist said, what, what you have is completely normal. Everybody has that. And as soon as... This child heard that. He stopped having the intrusive thoughts. They just went. They went away. He was no longer haunted by them. Um, and that's kind of what Twitter was in the early days. It was like a kind of radical de-shaming place, like a kind of Garden of Eden. There was a, I don't know if people remember, but there was a saying back then, uh, Facebook is where you lie to your friends. Twitter is where you tell the truth to strangers. Uh, you would hesitantly admit some kind of hitherto shameful secret on Twitter and people would go, oh my God, I'm exactly the same. It was like a wonderful place. And then it blew up in our faces. And I, I want to try and tell the story of, of why I think that happened. Um, in, in the early days of Twitter, I was a, I was a keen shamer. Uh, if a Daily Mail columnist wrote a racist or a homophobic comment, I would, I would join in with the pile on. Uh, people like Christopher, actually, were, were, were the kind of people who we would support, people who were, who were being attacked by, um, you know, stupid right-wing tabloid campaigns. And you'd pile it. I remember um, Jan Moyer of the Daily Mail wrote a column uh, about Stephen Gately, the singer in Boys Zone, who was found dead by his civil partner. And even though the, um, even though the coroner said it was natural causes, Jan Moyer wrote, um, it strikes another blow to the happy ever after myth of civil partnerships. And so we got together, we mobilized on Twitter and we hurt the Daily Mail with a weapon that it didn't understand, a, a social media shaming. And it was powerful and effective. And uh, advertisers withdrew their advertising from the Daily Mail and it worked and it was actually quite brilliant. Uh, but then as time went on, I actually led a Twitter shaming campaign once against A.A. Um, a. Gill, uh, the Sunday Times columnist who'd written a column about how he'd once shot a baboon on safari because, like all of us, he wondered what it would be like to shoot a person. Uh, so I alerted Twitter to this uh, because A.A. A. Gill quite often gives my television documentaries very bad reviews. Uh, so I'm forever... Uh, looking for ways he could be got. Uh, I also, by the way, uh, put A.A. Gill into my book about psychopaths, uh, because shooting a baboon on safari, because like all of us, you wonder what it would be like to shoot a person, is classic psychopath. Uh, plus, giving my television documentaries very bad reviews is classic psychopath. Um, Actually, I bumped into A.A. Gill quite recently at an award ceremony. He came bounding over to me and said, I would never sue another journalist. Uh, and I said, you know how you once said that you shot a baboon on safari? Because like all of us, you wondered what it would be like to shoot a person. I said, it's not all of us. It's not a normal thing to think. It's just you. <laughs> and he said, well, you don't hunt, so you wouldn't understand. So I said, I sell more books than you do.
so I won. Um, and you know, the kind of collective fury back in those days felt righteous and powerful, and it felt like hierarchies were being dismantled, as if justice was being democratised, which is why I, I asked Charlie that question earlier about whether he felt that um, his his sentence was draconian because I think people were scared back then because suddenly this new thing had come along, social media, and the old media got scared and the justice system got scared and I think that's why there were so many draconian punishments back then. You know, people were actually scared at our, our power. The silenced had a voice. But then, as time passed, we began to get frustrated when there wasn't anybody to be furious about and a day without a shaming kind of felt like a day picking fingernails or treading water. We were just a bit too in love with destroying people who were misusing their privilege. And so we allowed our standards to slip a little bit. And I'm going to tell a story about a person that we shamed after we began to feel just a little bit too in love with shaming. And it's a woman who I've become friends with now called uh, Justine Sacco. And it was uh, Christmas, a year, last, a year last Christmas, and Justine um, was travelling from New York to Heathrow and then to Cape Town, and she was tweeting little acerbic jokes to her 170 Twitter followers about her holiday travels, like, for instance... Can everybody read that? Did anybody say No. I couldn't hear you all being so polite. Your yeses and your noes sound identical. Can everybody hear that? Read that. Good, thank you. So Justine uh, tweeted that and chuckled to herself and pressed send and got no replies, uh, which wasn't a surprise because she had had 170 Twitter followers, but still she felt that kind of sad feeling that we all feel when, um, when the internet doesn't congratulate us for being funny. That <laughs> black silence when the internet doesn't talk back and then she got to Heathrow and um, thought up another acerbic joke uh, about the final leg of her journey so she chuckled to herself and pressed send and wandered around the airport for half an hour got no replies felt a little bit sad, got on the plane turned off her phone and then woke up 11 hours later in Cape Town, uh, turned on her phone, and straight away there was a message from somebody she hadn't spoken to since high school, and it said, I am so sorry to see what's happening to you right now. And she looked at it baffled, and then her phone just exploded with alerts and texts, including one from her best friend, Hannah, who said, you need to call me right away. You are the worldwide number one trending topic on Twitter. <laughs> so there were the philanthropists. There were the beyond horrified. Then it began to get a little bit darker. There were calls for her to be fired. If I can just get Justine Sacco fired, my day will have been well spent. 
I was watching this. I was lying in bed in London uh, watching this. And of course, like everybody else, because her tweet just overwhelmed all of Twitter, I thought, like everybody else felt, wow, somebody's fucked. And... <laughs> And then I um, thought about her tweet some more, and I thought, I'm not convinced that's a racist tweet. That isn't somebody gleefully flaunting her privilege. What it surely is, is somebody making a joke about people who gleefully flaunt their privilege, like a very bad Randy Newman song, or a very bad episode of South Park. And in fact, when I finally met Justine three weeks later... um, and I asked her to explain what the joke meant to her. She said, living in America puts us in a bit of a bubble when it comes to what's going on in the third world. I was making fun of that bubble. Um, But if people did understand the nuance like I did, nobody was letting on. Good luck with the job hunt. Hashtag getting fired. Hashtag sorry, not sorry. I think it was around now that um, corporations joined in, hoping to sell their products. Oh, yeah, here we go. (laughs) Somebody from Justine's own company tweeted, I am an IAC employee, and I don't want Justine Sacco doing any communications on our behalf ever again, ever. And then came the trolls. I read another tweet, I couldn't find it when I was preparing this slideshow, but I read another tweet at the time that said, I hope somebody HIV positive rapes this bitch and then we'll see if her skin colour protects her from AIDS. Um, I was thinking about Caroline before. I mean, what happened to Caroline was, was you know, absolutely horrific when she was you know, bombarded by these, by these trolls. And I've been with um, somebody else, a woman called Rebecca Watson, who had a, a similar thing happen to her, and I could see just how absolutely horrific it is. But Caroline and Rebecca both had a, a support network um, to help them through. Um, Justine Sacco had nobody. Justine... Uh, united a lot of very disparate groups that night from the rape the bitch all the way through to I'm donating to aid to Africa. Everybody hated Justine Sacco. And this is when her employers got involved. Somebody alerted them, and they explained that it was outrageous and disgusting, but she was on a flight, um, and so she was unavailable for comment. And that's when the anger really turned to excitement. All I want for Christmas is to see Justine Sacco's face when her plane lands, and she checks her inbox voicemail. Oh, man, Justine Sacco is going to have the most painful phone-turning-on moment ever when her plane lands. In my book, The Menestoic Goats, I I write about um, this torture technique at Guantanamo Bay called the Bucher Effect. And the idea is to, like, if you're walking down uh, um, a corridor at night and a figure jumps out in front of you and you scream and then you realise it's your wife, that is two different parts of your brain working at different times. The startle and then the realisation. And in interrogation, the uh, holy grail is the Bucher Effect, which is to see that moment of like extreme debilitating total startle and hold on to it 
And I think that night on Twitter, we discovered the joys of the Booker effect because this wasn't trolls who were tearing apart Justine. It was nice people like us just earnestly trying to do good. We're about to watch this Justine Sacco bitch get fired in real time before she even knows she's being fired. Well, bitch, how does it feel to be fired for Christmas? The furor over her tweet had become not just an ideological crusade against her perceived bigotry, but also a form of idle entertainment. Her complete ignorance of her predicament for those 11 hours lent the episode dramatic irony and also a pleasing narrative arc. As her flight flew south towards Cape Town, a hashtag began to trend worldwide. Has Justine landed yet? Twitter users worked out exactly which flight she was on, and so somebody linked to a flight tracker website. (laughs) It's kind of wild to see someone self-destruct without them even being aware of it. I think the next one, if I remember rightly, is the one I find most chilling, weirdly. I just imagine that to be like the bars I go to. The best thing to happen to my Friday night. Right, is there no one in Cape Town going to the airport to tweet her arrival? Come on, Twitter. I'd like pictures. Yep, there was somebody went to the airport. <laughs> Justin Sacco has in fact landed at Cape Town International. She's decided to wear sunnies as a disguise. And if you want to know what it looks like when you've just discovered that while you slept, your life was destroyed by nice people like us, this is what it looks like. By the time she touched down, tens of thousands of angry tweets had been sent in response to her joke. Her friend Hannah frantically deleted the tweet, but it was far too late. As somebody tweeted, sorry, Justine Sacco, your tweet lives on forever. I met Justine for the first time three weeks after her trip to South Africa. Um, It was in a a bar in New York called The Cook Shop and said it was the only time she would ever go on the record because it was just too harrowing to ever talk about again and she stuck to that. She's never gone on the record again. Um, She said, I cried out my body weight in the first 24 hours. It was incredibly traumatic. You don't sleep. You wake up in the middle of the night forgetting who you are and where you are. A therapist told me the other day, by the way, that a child therapist, she told me that practically all the children who come to her now come to her with trauma because of something that happened on social media. This is a very new thing. She released an apology statement and cut short her vacation. Workers were threatening to strike at the hotel she'd booked if she showed up. She was told that nobody could guarantee her safety. As she told me this, she started to cry. I sat looking at her for a moment, and then I tried to improve the mood. I said, sometimes things need to reach a brutal nadir before people see sense, so maybe you're our brutal nadir. She said, wow, of all the things I could have been in society's collective consciousness. (laughs) It never struck me I'd end up as a brutal nadir. She said... Obviously, she was fired, and in fact, that night I met her, she was going in to clean out her desk, but she only got as far as the lobby before she collapsed in tears. She said, all of a sudden, you don't know what you're supposed to do. 
if I don't start making steps to reclaim my identity and remind myself of who I am on a daily basis, I might lose myself. So I kept in touch with Justine over all of last year. I met her four months after it had happened. Uh, by then I'd met the man who, um, who had started the campaign against her. It was a guy called Sam Biddle. Somebody had sent her the tweet. He had 15,000 followers. And so he retweeted it, and that's how it went insane. I asked him how it felt, and he said it felt delicious. Uh, and I asked him how he imagined Justine was, and he said, oh, I'm sure she's fine. Because... I think that's called cognitive dissonance, right? We don't want to, you know, we like to see ourselves as good people, yet we want to destroy Justine Sacco. So the only way we can handle those two conflicting emotions at once is to either call her a racist and a sociopath or just imagine she's fine. But she wasn't fine. Five months after I met her, she was still out of a job. She was still lost and traumatised and broken. And that carried on for about a, a year. And a few weeks ago... I called Justine again and I said, um, my book's about to come out and, my, uh, and it's being extracted in the New York Times and they're going to extract your story and do you want to meet me one more time just to update me on your life? And she said, no way. She said, I regret talking to you. If I could turn back the clock, I, I wouldn't have done it. Um, I've, I've put a lot of trust in you and I'm terrified that you're going to betray it and it's all going to come back up again. And I'm not going, honestly... I'm ridiculously supportive. Uh, and the extract came out. And after that, she said, I'm, I'm so glad that I allowed you to, to tell the story because, you know, if you've been destroyed by tens of thousands of people, just cast out into the wilderness. As social creatures, we love nothing more than to connect with our fellow humans. But um, she was just absolutely cast out into the wilderness and told you are worthless and she believed it. And there's very few things more traumatizing than being cast out by all of us. Um, but she still won't go on Twitter anymore. And I so it felt like a profound reversal. When I first met Justine, she'd felt compelled to tell the tens of thousands of people who tore her apart how they'd wronged her. But maybe she now understood that her shaming wasn't really about her at all. Social media is so perfectly designed to manipulate our desire for approval. It's like a mutual approval machine where we surround ourselves with people who feel exactly the same way we do and we just constantly approve each other. It's what my friend Adam Curtis calls mutual grooming. And we scream out anybody who might feel differently. And of course, what that is the opposite of is democracy. And it was our mutual desire for approval that led to her undoing. Justine's tormentors were instantly congratulated as they took her down, bit by bit, and they continued to do so. Their motivation was much the same as Justine's, a bid for the attention of strangers as she milled about Heathrow, hoping to amuse people that she couldn't see. Thank you. <laughs>